0: Hello, 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 and welcome to The Vagabond Way podcast. The journey goes ever on with The Long Road. This episode, authentic together and onwards. This episode, The Long Road, Steve Bonham, Kev Moore, and Chris the Bischleiden. that's me, we discuss the future of the live music industry, venues, artists, and audiences working much more closely together in the rebuild post-COVID-19. Kev takes us on a jaunt to Russia for his next cafe spot, and I bring you some more of my daily bread antics. The Vagabond Way podcast featuring the long road is exploring the world of the Troubadour, the adventurer of the Vagabond. The world isn't beige, it isn't processed, it's authentic, it's rich, and it's real. If those are the sorts of sentiments that make your brain light up, then hop on board. We are embracing all of those things. We're celebrating all of that, and we'd love it if you joined us on the journey. Greetings, I am Chris the Bish Lydon. welcome. Now, there's much chat in this show, so only a quick intro from me. Uh, But I think I always say that these days, don't I? Um, What's new in the world of The Vagabond Way? Well, the big news is our new YouTube show starts this coming Tuesday. Tuesday, the 1st of September 2020, sees the launch of the Transatlantic Connection Show. Head to youtube.com slash The Vagabond Way. The show will be out every two weeks with a, a different guest each week. And perhaps even some weeks there'll be two guests There'll be little spots from me, Steve Bonham, and Kev Moore throughout the series. Um, we talk to some of our fellow artists who are, you know, moving in similar circles. Authentic new songs born out of real experiences, real places, real people. Um, We're still building the episodes, but we've got interviews and performances from Rob McHale, Mal McWatt, Elaine Davidson. Um, We've got a chat with Graeme Steele, who's been working relentlessly throughout lockdown, getting this kind of music out there through Facebook Live performances. Um, And some more people, artists, journalists, people in the business, um, who we haven't confirmed yet, so I best not announce just in case. Um, So why the Transatlantic Connection show? Well, we are building a movement, which we're calling the transatlantic connection we want to connect audiences artists and venues who are into this kind of music um it's it's a long-term project no easy wins here but we want to make connections for people who like authentic homegrown music probably music that has one foot on either side of the Atlantic some artists who experienced, you know moving from the UK to the US or whose ancestors did that uh, in quite different times perhaps Um, or artists from the US who have traveled toured extensively over here in the UK uh, and fallen in love the the US and the UK have a An intertwining shared history, to say the least, Uh, and for decades, centuries, artists have been trying to work it out, share bits of it, bring it together, separate bits out with different lineages. It's a huge melting pot, um, and there are many rich seams to be mined. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a very strong chance I suspect you'll enjoy the Transatlantic Connection show too, Uh, so do join us on YouTube from Tuesday the 1st of September 2020, youtube.com slash The Vagamon Way, and you'll find the episodes are released there every two weeks on a Tuesday. Anyway, right now, on to the rest of this podcast. As is always the way when we do a recording slot for the podcast, the three of us, Steve, Kevin, me. Um, and and look, I say, look, we only need two like 10-minute slots for the podcast, even with a bit of extra waffle. That will surely only take us 30 minutes to record. And without fail, it ends up being an hour and a half mammoth session. Uh, and bless Kev, he records in his studio in Spain, uh, you know, in the summer where it's 36 degrees, uh, and you can't have a fan on because the noise will ruin the recording. Uh, and here we are waffling on. So the waffle chat that I've edited out from uh, this week's ramble chat um, to save you, our dear listeners, brains from melting. The topics included counting together or our inability to do so over a video conferencing system with you know a weird time delay, um, Indonesian traditional music called gamelan uh, and how approaches differ to Western music um, – Prisoner education in the UK, the history of Arabic written numerals, Spanish building regulations, the people cut off from society who don't know that wars are over, uh, and finally, Donald Trump. You'll hear none of those topics this week. Um, There was also some slightly darker chat about the current state of the live music industry at the moment, understandably due to COVID-19 and its various uh, and, and... ever-changing effects on live music um you know kev for instance has managed to get some live gigs in over in spain but things seem to be tightening up again there and various restrictions are back in place meaning that live music is off the cards again for a bit um here in the uk venues are permitted to open but many can't or um they can't as much as they'd like um, and are in financial dire straits many of them so taking risks perhaps isn't on the cards um Although for some, they will have been able to step back and review things and look at this time as a an opportunity to make some changes for the better, perhaps. I mean, you know, Especially some of the smaller, nimbler organisations or, or venues. Um, we also talked a bit about social media and the modern age of influencers. I, I suppose generally we felt a lack of authenticity in some influencers' approaches. Um, not creating anything, but just constantly having a, a product or a thing to show Um, You know, that sort of approach just doesn't seem to float our boat. Um, You know, we're creators. We want to make stuff and share it and find people who connect with it. But I think in some ways that means influencers have to be very nimble uh, and go with the flow of trends that change sort of every day, every hour. Um, There's perhaps some lessons to be learnt there. We do feel there is a a shift away from the desire for this manufactured pop success, though. Uh, And there's a growing audience out there who want authentic well-made quality stuff that's born out of real stories real connections Um, and that's where we pick up our chat Um, thinking about how that movement can grow and build with venues artists audiences all working together more in the music industry something that steve and i have been talking about in the previous days before this recording Um, in the past we've discussed the rise of the tribute act as a bit of a killer for new writing acts as well Uh, venues succumbing to perhaps the the easy route of booking tribute acts because they they know they'll sell Um, but perhaps contributing to a a loss in other parts of the industry Um, you know tribute acts have their part to play for sure don't get me wrong Um, but there is a fear that for some venues they are at the expense of everything else Okay, so we're going we're gonna to join the chat mid-flow. We are stepping into the flowing river here, people. Brace yourselves. Okay, over to, uh, well, me. Venues do have a part to play in helping to save themselves and the musicians who they want working there. I'm hard-pushed to think of venues that I know of that actually... Have supported the creation of new music they they're 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 keen for people to come in and perform there, and they want you know they'll do the ticket set sa- the ticket sales and do the door split or whatever, but actually are they putting anything into those artists that want to create stuff—are they providing venue space for bands to rehearse during the day when the venue isn't being used as a in you know, a venue? Yeah. Are they contributing to the yeah. the growth of the industry rather than just Absolutely. providing a platform to people to yeah. perform at? Absolutely. One of the things that me and Steve were we, we were talking about the fact that actually part of the the sort of movement we're trying to build, you know, the mm. art artisan, artisan music and authenticity, and actually I think a key part of that ultimately is going to be finding venues that are on the same wavelength um i've experienced it in the theater world a bit with my sort of theater producing hat on where venues work really hard to help grow uh, and find the new voices the people want to make new things but don't have the the platform yet yeah Uh, and i think i think the music industry has a has a a has to go back to that sort of thing. I have to, I have to switch to that thinking a bit. Yeah. I think
1: it has a moral obligation. I think also that that's how you will rebuild because it will be decimated
0: by the end of this. It will be decimated. Yeah,
1: and I think it has to be done in partnership. You know, mm. yeah. But you know, yeah.
2: there there are models for this because I think you're spot on that actually, and you really made me think about it venues have got to see themselves as more than just sticking up some posters and uh and then and then tr- and, and then booking guaranteed if i look at the, the the english folk scene which has killed itself over the last the last 20 years it's absolutely killed itself yeah in its heyday you could build your career as an artist you knew what you had to do you had to get in your, on the bus and you had to go to lots and lots of folk clubs and play two songs. It was called the floor spot. Yeah. When you did that way, you you honed your honed your your craft. You learnt how to do it, and it was it was hard. And you might spend a couple of years doing that. As you got better, the folk clubs then had a kind of support act. The bigger ones, anyway, most of the big ones, where they'd you'd get a small amount of money for playing before the main act. Yeah. And then you'd do. Those for a little while, then eventually a folk club organiser would take the risk and give you give you a night. But of course, by then you'd built up a following, because people had seen you over a region, they'd seen you regularly. I, I don't know much about Scottish and Irish uh, folk clubs, but the English
0: ones are dead, because they do not do that properly anymore. For me, the thing that has to emerge out of all of this lockdown stuff, and just the instant changes to our industry that were were coming... They were on their way, whatever, and they were mm. gradually, gradually, gradually wearing down, but it just happened very suddenly, um, and that was a shock to everybody. Um, but I think the thing that has to emerge is a different ecology for how mm. venues, artists, and audiences connect. I mean, part of the reason we're doing this podcast is to try to do that. I mean, again, the theatre industry spotted this a long time ago, and there's a sort of ecology there that exists. The music industry has to do the same because... Venues need to take more risks, yeah. But also, venues need to work better with audiences. So that the live music enthusiasts that we want to connect with, a lot of them don't feel served by the venues these days because there was such a big switch to tributes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you've got to find we've got, we, you know, as part of the movement, we've got to work with with venues and say we want to try rebuilding something that's been lost or uh, forgotten. And mm. it's because it's still out there. People, people will always want live music. Good new live music. It's a trust thing, Chris, isn't it? It's a it's
2: a trust thing. There's a, a venue up the road here, in, in in Marchington, and I'm not up to date with where it's got to, but for for a long time, they they had lovely mix of every Sunday night. People trusted the venue. Yeah. That mm. that the the, the the guy running it could put on a variety of acts and know he was going to get people coming in because they wanted to hear live music, and they some weeks they'd know who it was. Some weeks they wouldn't. It just felt Mm. that people turned up because they trusted the uh, promoter that this band were going to be good and worth listening to. And I love that. And that, to me, is a great recipe for how you do it.
1: You know, there's room for some some tribute stuff, especially for the bands that are now sort of fading away and, 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 and some of the musicians who've gone. But I feel that, like, if you photocopy a photocopy relentlessly... You're, you're on a hiding to nothing and, and if there's no new input into the music scene mm. and it's, it, everything's a tribute to everything else, uh,
0: then it will it will wither and die. It's important to keep new blood coming in. Some of it is a, a new approach to how those three different groups, the venues, the artists and the audiences connect. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because we don't know what the long-term effects of COVID-19 are in terms of... Yeah how many people you can fit into a venue that you you have to rethink it and actually as we're all doing you know can we do can we do yeah. stuff live that we also do online as well and actually you get you get the best of both worlds then you yeah. get people who can make it you the, the 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 people that can fit in the room with you safely uh, great but actually can you reach A worldwide audience people that wouldn't ever have been able to come into the room with you
1: and of course another facet of of post-covid entertainment is how many people have will have disposable income you know will people be going out and 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 splashing out 200 quid on the big concert tickets i don't think so which is so that may turn their heads to to the lower rungs uh and for the grassroots music and it might flourish
2: we're in the world of having a new conversation with everybody. You know, people mm. have got to start talking and involving each other a lot more and and be very careful about the barriers they've built, you know. Um, the festival scene has been, for music for the last 10, 15 years, has been brilliant. I mean, it's kept the thing alive, you know, it kept bands going, you know, the big bands, all it's kept everybody going. But then even that was starting to kind of tail off over the last few years and there are festivals losing lots of money. And you know, as you were saying, Chris, it's not leaving it to somebody else. You know, I think I think what we're trying to do is not leave it to someone else to go out and start talking to people, but getting on getting on your bike. If I'm not mixing my metaphors, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like we want to connect with other musicians. You know, don't see your fellow musicians as competitors. You're building oh, a, you de- a market got to. Yeah, you know, yeah, definitely uh, ven- venue, Venues don't sit... Because basically what venues are saying now is it's totally up to the artist to bring in the audience. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that is basically the contract. You know, I'll pay yeah. you if you can bring 50, 100, 200, 2,000 people in or I won't pay you. It's about also being... All of us being committed to quality, you know. If I'm a punter going out for a beer... Or you know a glass of wine, or you know if you know a cup of coffee, if it's you, Kev. And there's a and there's a rubbish guy hollering out Wonderwall. Yeah. I'm going to go and sit and drink somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, <laughs> I'm just not going to put up with that. I want to go and see someone who's genuinely good that fascinates and entertains and interests me, and that's why I'll stay. And I might I'll be up for surprises.
0: It feels to me like we're at the. The sort of we're over the hump of a shift of 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 how things have been going the last sort of ten years about the actual yeah, like mu- yeah. music, and I feel like there is a gro- we're on the start of the curve now for the next wave of stuff where people yeah. are saying actually uh, and part of it is due to this lockdown thing where actually people are saying the only way some things are going to survive is if um, we actually put. Uh, a bit of money where where our desires are. And, mm. you know, yeah. people say, actually, okay, yeah, I will pay £10 to your crowdfunding thing for you to, you know, record your next album or whatever. Because £10 is only a small amount of the bigger pot, but to people in lockdown, £10 might be quite a lot of their disposable income. Yeah. Um, yeah. But actually it's saying, this is what I want to see more of in the future, is yeah. Yeah, well-made, my, here's my money, quality, yeah. quality stuff. It'll be the same when venues here can open i mean venues here can open up again now uh, to, with social distance audiences but a lot of a, a lot are, aren't able to um but when things get a bit easier on that on that front um people are going to be a bit more judicious about where they're spending their money i think uh, yeah. and i'm ho- i'm hoping we will see a um a, a commitment to good quality local um establishments who also will be able to invest in good yeah. quality Local art- artists. yeah, um, I, I do I do you know. think
1: that the, the venues and, and the acts are going to need to start having a, a bigger conversation than they have done in the past.
0: Of connecting more with people with audiences, that's where the idea for the for this podcast came from. Really, um, we really do want to connect with other artists and audiences who are out there, uh, who are into the kind of stuff that we're into. Um, we're not hoping to convert millions upon millions to a, a, a new musical style or genre. We want to build on the the solid foundation of real, authentic music that exists and that we're creating that we know audiences out there love. Um, We just have to get better at connecting via social media, perhaps, in the short term, uh, whilst venues are a bit done for, uh, but longer term in in live music venues that we all want and need across this country, across the world. Um, A point that Kev made in our chat that i had to edit out just for the for the flow of things this week um but it's a good point that that he made Um, music uh, is often still seen as you know hashtag not a proper job music has been and forever will be so integral to the well-being of a society you know musicians need to be able to contribute they need to have their spaces to try new stuff experiment find new connections Whilst also being able to earn a living. Um, most of us aren't, you know, after footballers' wages. We just want to be able to do our thing and, and get by. Um, anyway, an important part for us is giving people behind the scenes sneak peeks into how we do things. The birth of new ideas, new songs. I think it can help connect people with their own experiences um, to the experiences that we write, uh, record and perform about. Um Today also gives an idea of how songs themselves are sort of bookmarks in the process, landmarks, waypointers, significant moments or, you know, or reflections on the, the, the process itself. Um, so I'm going to hand over to Steve now. This
2: week, Song in the Mix is a song called Western Requiem, which is another song of the songs I've been writing on this um, spanking new 12 string that I'm playing a lot at the moment. I- I'm really proud of this song it kind of sums up something it's a kind of drawing together you know you know as you know i have this um obsession with the early days of the of, of of america the the wild west if you like um you know books on my shelves um competing for space uh our history of new mexico um return to thunder road which is about moonshining. um all the things you never knew about Billy the Kid, and actually, you know, I have to point out at this time that I actually met Billy the Kid's third cousin in a in an old shop in 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 uh, Las Vegas, Las Vegas, New Mexico, not uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Otherwise, I'd have been very suspicious about that. I could have been anybody. Anyway, what was I talking about? Why why am I obsessed with this? I think i I just love the world. It's a world of clear lines, bad and good, right and wrong, civilization and wilderness, the frontier It's a world of incredible human stories, There's strong characters, the outlaw, the renegade, the strong woman and the weak man, the native American. Chief, the noble warrior, the drifter, the gold digger, the hunter—he goes on and on. These these characters who instinctively come into your world with a with a backstory. You don't have to waste a lot of creative effort um, filling in their past, which is really handy when you're writing a song. And it's a world in which you can you can still touch the borderlands of it. It's a world that sits between really ancient history and now. You can drink in the bar, as I have, where Doc Holiday used to uh, take too much alcohol, gamble a little, and shoot the odd person before retiring to the room round the back where he ran his dental practice. You can visit the ghosts of the old towns of the Gold Rush. You can, as I've noticed and said, spend the afternoon with a relative of Billy the Kid. There's a kind of line of sight back to to something that at one hand appears mythological and at the other completely here and now. We can almost touch it. Everybody's favourite cowboy is John Wayne. Who knew why up? and modelled his nonchalant walk and draw upon the man who in 30 seconds at the OK Corral wrote himself into history. And I found on YouTube the other day a really old television programme. It's what, I can't remember the name of the show, but it was a show where you had to work out who who somebody was, or the panel had to work out who who this person was. And the mystery guest this week had seen Abraham Lincoln assassinated. That's close. That's really close. And I guess as a band, as a creative group, we're, we're coming to the end of a uh, two years of really intensive work around this reimagining of, of the music from the soil and the ground that we talk about a lot, the, the, you know, the, with our feet in... British and American music, and the, the raw materials that made up the magical music of the 20th century, and this song, "Western Requiem," sort of is a way of bringing the curtain down, if you like, or the sun setting on, on on that particular story as the new as the new we start to think about the new CDs. And the new and the new recordings that we're going to do. This this idea of wrapping it up. So this song, uh and I haven't, you know, dear listener, I haven't told, talked to Chris or or, or Kevin about this. I actually think this song belongs on the end of that sequence. Even though in 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 fact, we have recorded all that we wanted to in this particular story. Maybe this one belongs at the end of those, and we can shuffle off a shuffle off a track and add this to the, to the mix. Western Requiem seems a nice way of finishing the entire America Wilderness project before we knuckle down to the journey goes ever on. So when I wrote this song, I wanted just to capture that twilight, that twilight of a world which is fast disappearing that has shaped so many imaginations and so many dreams and so many nightmares and so many stories and so many movies and so many songs. I just wanted to nail that lovely moment. There you go. and low was gone The medicine man has come and gone. The warm summer touches down And the train is westward bound Jerome Mimow has quit the show John Wayne never made the unalonged Ghost dances, dance invade i
1: It's me, Kev Moore, once more, with yet another edition of Kev's Café Corner. This week, we're going to be visiting the frozen wastes of the north, specifically Russia. Now, this is a cafeteria that is on the move. So it's quite an interesting story, this one. So sit back, relax, and pin back your lugoles. Way back around the turn of the millennium, with Christy, we travelled to Russia to do some shows, playing in uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg, and got to see quite a bit of the place while we were there. And I went back some time later, but this time flying to Helsinki and getting what's known as the ICE train, which takes you all the way up through Finland to where the border with Russia is, and you cross the border and then head down uh, into, through Russia and into St. Petersburg. Now the ice train is such a wonderfully evocative name for it and it certainly lives up to it when you travel through the uh, snow-covered frozen wastes of the north there. And I visited the cafe restaurant car in this train. It's a little bit, I suppose, like a rickety Orient Express. And as you approach the Russian border, the train slows and Russian guards get on board. To examine your papers and your passport, and um, you just expect one of them to sort of keep your passport and say, "No, Mister Bond, we expect you to die," which is fun. And um, anyway, I, I travelled along to the uh, to the restaurant car, and it's like something from the era of the tsars. You know, there's um, beautiful cut glass everywhere and ancient sort of um, cruets for the various salts and peppers and sauces and what have you. And I ordered Russian pancakes. And I can tell you, listener, there's nothing quite like sitting on an ancient Russian train in the restaurant car surrounded by all this amazing pre-war almost paraphernalia uh, eating Russian pancakes and staring out at the frozen wastes beyond. There's something that comes over me when I'm on a train journey, when I'm looking out at the lights of the homesteads in the distance and the houses and the flats. And each one, it fascinates me because it represents like a microcosm of society and you you look in at one of the windows and you wonder what lives are being played out in these places, what dramas and what struggles people are going through and how their lives are unfolding. And you're you're like, you're just a visitor passing through and you're passing through the sort of ghostly echoes of all these people's lives. It's something that always strikes me when I'm on a train. And I wrote uh, a short piece about such a thing, which wasn't the Russian train journey, but I'd like to share it with you. It was about a journey I took into the heartland of Germany, and it's called The Bird and the Forgotten. The great train grumbled into Braunschweig Station, almost reluctant to break its journey through the heartland of eastern Germany. Grey-green, grey-green it went, the sprawling farmlands contrasting sharply with the gunmetal urban decay of its forgotten towns. I sat in my compartment contemplating the day. A long day, filled with the miasma of endless travel that would take me from post-communist poverty to the sun-kissed shores of Spain, eventually. After a cursory glance along the platform, I returned my gaze to the novel I had wisely brought along to forestall the boredom, when suddenly a soft thud and a flurry of feathers in my peripheral vision caused me to look outside. A tiny, imperceptible mark on the carriage window was the only clue. I looked down and saw a still, feathered form on the platform. Then, slowly, very slowly, it began to regain its wits and sat, stunned, alone and abandoned on the platform, a a sparrow of sorts, I think, though ornithology is not one of my strong points. It looked like a confused traveller that had alighted at the wrong stop, More than a little frightened, it glanced around worriedly. The train, made ready for departure, and I found myself urging it to wait, that I could longer observe and witness the outcome for this poor unfortunate. It became apparent that it was severely injured, for it moved not one inch, and the feet of a thousand impatient travellers unaware were perilously close. The train conductor paced backwards, carriage by carriage, purposefully along the platform. I held my breath. He signalled the impending departure as he walked backwards, ever backwards, his boots coming down mere millimetres from the bird. I realised then, like an epiphany, I was witnessing a metaphor for modern life and the victims that fall beneath the cracks, powerless to alter their destiny, ignored by the masses, and life hanging by the slenderest of threads. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you later.
0: Baguette updates. Huge thanks to our pal Jackie for sending me some baguette tips for my Bishop's Daily Bread segment. Um, Jackie has done actual proper baguette training, apparently. Um, I mean, this sounds to me like something you do in basic training for the Army or Air Force or something. You know, I can picture rows of people marching up and down with baguettes crisply balanced against their shoulders. Or, as it might be in my case... You know, baguettes limply dragging along the floor behind me. Um, Jackie, fear not. I shall put your tips to use in the coming days. And attempt number two at baguettes is forthcoming. Um, I shall report back. Looking back over lockdown, a few of my sort of kitchen obsessions, but some of which have absolutely passed now. Um, the desire to make homemade mozzarella. Uh, I attempted this, I can't remember how many times now. Uh, with with some limited success, but it never got to the, the sort of heady heights I hoped for. Uh, linked to that era was the, the homemade pizza with fresh freshly grown basil, which, to be fair, I still pop out now and then. Um, the sake of throwing some dough together in the day and leaving it to do its stuff in time for the evening isn't the greatest hardship. My basil plant is still quietly growing. Um, a more recent trend has been donuts in their various forms, fried, baked, ring, or not ring. What do you call a not ring donut? Just a donut, I guess. Um... The cousin to the donut, the yum yum, a more recent experiment that went pretty well, although it's a laminated dough. It's hard to know what the shortcuts you take really mean for the result. Um, compared to the croissant I made, which was a full-on, you know, two-day process, the yum yums were easy, but perhaps the results weren't quite as delicious. Perhaps effort equals outcome. A frightening discovery recently was frozen donut dough, all you know, already boiled. Um, could be defrosted and fried singularly to give not quite instant, but near enough, fresh donuts quite successfully. Oops. Uh, and of course, in general terms, the various varieties and shapes of bread and bread rolls I've made over the last few months. It all adds to tools in the toolbox, I think. I'll perhaps never be a master baker, but I know, I know how to whip up a nice country-style loaf, or indeed, uh, you know, a batch of Big Mac-style burger buns. I fear my recent discovery of a delicious chocolate cake recipe though which for no apparent reason has no eggs nor butter in it um, and has rather too much coffee on the ingredients list for my initial liking but it's still excellent. Oh uh, and a great chocolate frosting as the Americans would call it. You know, This results in a delicious cake treat but sliced up and placed in between sheets of parchment paper and put in the freezer It also lasts remarkably well and defrosts in about 20 minutes. Single slices of delicious chocolate cake available in minutes. This, combined with the donut discovery, will surely be the end of me. Or perhaps, you know, the start of a cookbook. Who knows? Thanks for listening. Wherever in the world you are, that's this episode done with subscribe to the podcast we're on apple podcast soundcloud spotify the next episode will be out next friday uh, join us on youtube for the transatlantic connection show and become part of the transatlantic connection movement head to youtube.com slash the vagabond way find us on facebook the vagabond way or steve bonham and the long road all of our music's on spotify and apple music so go and have a listen give us a follow if you like what you hear maybe share it with your pals who might like it as well we're on patreon at patreon.com slash the vagabond way big thank you to our Patreons, and a special shout-out to Orla Flynn, James Lydon, Yvette Lydon, and Trish Taylor. Thank you. Patreon is a great platform that makes it super easy for anyone out there, you, to support content that you love on a monthly basis. It gives you direct access to the people creating the stuff you love, us, hopefully, and you get to play an integral part in shaping the direction of the things that we make. So, become a vagabonder. That's our name for our supporters on Patreon to help us create music, live performances, books and short stories, this weekly podcast, our YouTube show, and some new things we're cooking up. As a Vagabond,er you can get the recordings and books we make for free, receive exclusive Patreon-only merchandise in the post, get regular behind-the-scenes updates from us, unlock access to exclusive live-stream performances and Q&As, and lots more. You can help us create something different, something that entertains, and something that inspires others. So... Join us on the journey and release The Vagabond Within. Patreon.com slash The Vagabond Way. Thank you once again, brave adventurers, vagabonds and explorers, for joining us on The Vagabond Way. Remember, the world isn't beige, it's authentic, it's rich and it's real. Embrace every last bit of it. Until next time, the journey goes ever on with the long road. Bye for now.